Welcome to New Teacher Center's COVID-19 Resource and Community Support Series. In today's episode, Kristen Wendell will share with us some learnings from instructional leaders across the country. Hello, and welcome to our conversations about leveraging instructional leaders for virtual success. I'm Kristen Wendell with the New Teacher Center, and today I'm speaking with Tess Michener-Sinjo, Principal of Dayton Leadership Academies in Dayton, Ohio. I'm so glad to be speaking with you today, Tess. Pleasure to be here, Kristen. So the purpose of this conversation is to give school and district leaders an opportunity to hear voices straight from the field, other leaders who are doing the hard work of meeting student and educator needs during these challenging times. So let's get to it, Tess. Can you tell me a bit about yourself? I'm the principal of a K-8 charter school located on the west side of Dayton. Our student enrollment is 475 students, and they come from all over the city. Our school is um, 98% African-American students, 2% multiracial and white students, 100% of our students qualify for free and reduced lunch. Uh, This is my 21st year in urban education, having started off as a teacher um, through Teach for America and then coaching teachers through Teach for America in Chicago, founded a charter school in Northwest Indiana, was a school leader there and then worked for a national network of charter schools before I moved back to Dayton, my hometown, and went into a school leader role. This will be my, I'm wrapping up my fifth year as the school leader at my school. So talk to me about what teaching and learning currently looks like at your school. When we saw the colleges and universities around us closing and moving towards long-term closure, we quickly started to develop an online learning plan for remote learning that mapped out the expectations for teachers Uh, the resources we would use, the tools and um, technology we would need. So since March 15th, uh, we put this plan in place. And so it looks very different at different grade levels. In the lower grades, kinder first, second, the teachers are working closely with the parents. Um, They put together work packets, so they actually had material that was similar from our curriculum. And then they've recorded videos of themselves. Um, Everything from morning message to have that ritual and routine to phonics lessons that are maybe five minutes of the teacher modeling and then pausing for students to repeat and and follow along um, to read alouds with targeted questions. um, And again, math videos. We are fortunate to have an online learning component that our students have been using all year through the ready instruction, and that is differentiated targeted lessons for each child based on their mid-year diagnostic. And so the students are expected to complete those lessons online. So it's heavy communication between the classroom teachers in kinder first and second grade and the the parents, um, and then finding creative ways for the parents to submit the students' work, whether that be taking a screenshot or um, videoing with the teacher. So via FaceTime, they might show them the work packets that the children have completed or just bringing them to the school to turn in. In third through eighth grade, our students have been using Google Classroom all school year. Um, so they're very familiar with that. It was used primarily for writing assignments, research, and presentations, and it's now our primary method of online instruction. And so the teachers are assigning lessons, um, modeling using various different tools like Loom, where they can create a PowerPoint and then record themselves, um, providing instruction. And they are doing class meetings um, where the students have an opportunity to engage with each other and discuss. So our third through eighth grade classes 
are conducted primarily through solely through Google Classroom. We did send home all of our devices. We had one-to-one -one laptops for kinder, for, sorry, for second grade through eighth grade. So the day before we closed our building, we sent everyone home and checked out laptops to the families. Um, we have had some students who do not have internet access, so we've had to get pretty creative with how to serve their needs. We have one student who was recently placed in foster care, and the teachers have created packets of work for her. She's a seventh grader. That's what instruction has looked like. It's looked like using online tools to provide instruction for students, keeping it simple, using the programs and, and curriculum and practice that the students are familiar with. And then our intervention team has been supporting those efforts, creating videos, and also doing one-on-one -on -one tutoring has been pretty effective. So they will schedule a time with the parent to meet with the parent and child. And what percentage are, of your students are, are receiving those types of interventions? 20 to 30% of our students are receiving those interventions. What percentage of your students are you finding engaging in the online learning opportunities and engaging with their teachers through class meetings? Um, our teachers monitor this. It definitely fluctuates um, depending on parent schedule and what the students have available to them, but we're at 85% submitting something, participating in some way. With our upper grade students, we've had to help them come up with a daily schedule. Um, we've had some issues and challenges with students not having access to a device or um, internet or consistent internet. So you mentioned the use of morning meeting and the K2 teachers making videos of morning meeting to replicate that routine. Can you talk about other ways that you've sustained relationships between teachers and students or teachers and teachers during this time? I think one of the first things we learned was video was important. So teachers embracing that on a daily basis, providing morning meeting messages, read alouds, um, recording their, their lessons. Our second grade team has their own YouTube channel um, and one teacher records the math lessons, one teacher records the phonics reading lessons, and um, it's been really successful for the parents and students to get online. I think the other thing that we've done is really try to keep those rituals consistent as much as possible. So for example, every month we do what's called a house team meeting and we recognize the student of the month for Eagle of the Month, our college mascot, and College Bound Award, a student who really has demonstrated effort in their academics or made progress academically. So we've tried to keep our traditions and rituals alive in a virtual way. Uh, we do messages each week from one of the administrators so the families and students can see us. We changed our grading policy. We really had to reevaluate what did grading look like during this fourth quarter of online learning. And so I recorded a message to families. I think our, what we've learned is that there's this needing to see each other, um, needing to feel connected as a school community, and needing to maintain those rituals. That's great. And it's great to hear how you all are thinking about not just the video, but also the pictures and connecting students to each other and to their teachers. What has your leadership team done to support teachers' growth and development as they are learning how to do these online lessons and navigate platforms that might be new to them? I think the first thing we did was be very clear about the expectations. And I will tell you that originally we were going to keep hours from eight to four, sort of replicating the school day. And then we had to take a step back and realize that many of our teachers are parents and would be homeschooling. And that just wasn't feasible um, for the balance and sustainability of this. And so our teachers are expected to work at minimum four hours a day. 
most of them work 10 to two, but many of them have shifted to make themselves available to their students after hours. Our leadership team had to realize what would the environment be like for them to work from home and try to teach and meet their students' needs as well as their family commitments. The second thing we did was look at what other schools were doing and keep it simple. That has been our message all along is keep it simple, use what students are familiar with, use what you're familiar with, work as a team and collaborate. We still do our one-on-one -on -one coaching check-ins with teachers. We still do virtual walkthroughs. We go into their Google Classrooms and on their ClassDojo accounts and watch their videos and give commentary. Several of us on the leadership team are parents ourselves, so we've been able to give advice and suggestions on ways to best communicate with parents and make sure that parents are able to support the student assignments. So an example of that is our kindergarten team put together a packet of work with a very clear cover sheet of the assignments the students should be completing for the two-week period. But I said to the kinder teachers, I said, if I'm a parent, I may not know where that packet is. I might not remember what they should be doing on a daily basis. So could you on Monday's post, here's what they should be progressing through, here's what they should be doing each day, and then on Fridays, as a reminder, here's what you should be submitting for this week's work. And so I think the teachers have really had to shift and we've been supporting them to think about how are you communicating with the parents even more um, and being flexible. So keep it simple and be flexible. So we've had students submit work at midnight. Um, we've had students, you know, who we're not getting work from, we're not getting work from, really concerned, they're not participating. We call home, we talk to the parent and they say, oh, I have that packet. Can I get that work to you? They're definitely progressing through their work or students in our middle school who were doing some subjects that rather than other subjects, either by like just preference or those math assignments might be really challenging. So we talked to the parents about, you know, picking a day and Wednesday becomes the math day. and The students spend the most of their time on math on Wednesday and the other days they can pick and choose. And so I think helping our teachers to think about student choice, student experience and teacher, the parent experience has been important. Um, and then tapping into creativity when necessary and really thinking outside the box. Like, what can we do for the end of the year assignments that doesn't involve a computer? Um, how can we get our kids outside now that the weather's better? What could they do outside that's academically related but gets them off of the computers? And then we've definitely curated the best webinars and resources available. So there's a lot out there. Um, I don't forward everything to the teachers. I really look through to see, is this aligned to our curriculum? Is this something we may have used in the past? We put together a list of online webinars and quality professional development that teachers could participate for free. So what does it look like when school returns to school building? When school returns, the main thing that we've thought about is a learning recovery plan. And we've put together our initial thoughts and brainstorm and getting teacher feedback on how do we replicate fourth quarter for students? Because the reality is it's not the same as instruction. And we're really worried about the loss of learning. This idea of summer slide being duplicated, right? Double the amount of summer slide. So we've been looking at things like our um, master schedule, teaching fourth quarter skills in the first quarter through reteach and double math and double reading adding after school tutoring. We also are doing summer school. We've always provided summer school for four weeks. And so we're in the midst of envisioning online summer school. In terms of coming back together, we're just waiting for guidance. You know, I've been reading online about how do you keep distance from each other? What are the 
health and wellness measures we have to put in place. Our operations team is researching what are the requirements for um, health and wellness. And if we have to keep six feet apart, we will figure it out. I think our concern as a charter school is what does transportation look like since we don't provide buses, the district does. So there's a lot of looking at what the district does. We also try to follow the district calendar. So if our local Dayton Public Schools district decides to go year round or have a later end next year, then we will mirror that. Can you share a bit about how you've been supporting the social and emotional needs of students and teachers or how you're thinking about supporting those upon reentry to the school? Our reality is that we have to support the social emotional needs of our students all the time. We already have a very robust PBIS system at our school. We have a robust counseling service at our school. Um, we serve a population of students who have experienced trauma before. Being resilient through traumatic experience is just our norm. Um, so what we're thinking about is the ability to provide relationships and stability and structure for our students who really need it. No matter what happens in the fall when we reopen, there will probably be a period where we have to go back into um, long-term closure. So making sure that we document the learnings now to be able to implement that. But I think in terms of the social emotional needs of our families, one thing that we've done is meal distribution twice a week. And it's a chance for us to check in with our parents and say hi to them and send positive messages to our students. So returning to something you said earlier, kind of a, a 180, but not fully, grading and making decisions about grading and also placement for the following school year is something that a lot of leaders have wrestled with. Can you share just a little bit about how your leadership team made a decision around grading and then what that decision has been? When we reevaluated our grading policy, we took into context our students' home situations and in some cases not able to fully engage in the online lessons as they've been developed um, at no fault of their own, just due to circumstances. So we wanted to be realistic about what our students um, had access to while also upholding high expectations for learning, right? So we've had this message since the beginning that the learning is continuing. So we had to balance how do we make sure students are still engaging in learning and being held accountable without being overly accountable for things that are out of their control. We came to the conclusion that in the lower grades, kindergarten through third grade, the students were very dependent upon their parents to complete the lessons and the work. The parents really had to be on top of them, making progress through their packets, um, giving them access because they, first of all, we didn't send Chromebooks home for kinder and first graders. Um, and second of all, you know, the schedule and the structure and the accountability comes from the parents. Our fourth quarter grades are pass fail for all kindergarten through third grade students. Our specials classes for all kindergarten through eighth grade students are pass fail. And we changed our weights from participation, homework, classwork to 80% of the grade is based on your homework um, completion of the online assignments. We consider that participation and then assessments. We still have given assessments to our upper grade students, including fourth quarter exams, because they told the teachers, wait, if there's no state testing, what are we working towards? Why are we doing classes fourth quarter if there's no state test? Because we were on the brink of taking the very high stakes state test and pushed proficiency and pushed 
you know, academic excellence and readiness all year. And then all of a sudden there's no state test. So we decided to still have fourth quarter exams for them to work towards and demonstrate their knowledge and what they've learned um, as accountability, as investment. But the percentage of their grade is less based on assessment. In terms of retention, we are not retaining any students from fourth quarter. I love that the students are the ones who brought the end of year assessments upon themselves. They're like, wait a second, what are we doing here? Show us what we know. Random, I saw a really interesting article about looping and the value of mm. looping in this, uh, this environment because then the, the teachers already know the students and they already know the content they should have had. It was, it was fascinating. I had this proposal to our team, like maybe the first week of school, they just go to their teacher in their classrooms from last year just to close out, just to have some closure, yes. just to say goodbye yeah. and then go to your new grade level and your new classroom. <laughs> yeah, it's a, go spend some time with the people whom you yeah. never got to say goodbye to. So what's keeping mm -hmm. you up at night? I mean, I think I've said this, but the loss of learning of our, for our students. Right now, I'm thinking a lot about remote summer school and what is our plan for providing four weeks of instruction to 150 of our students. Um, I'm thinking a lot about student enrollment and what does that look like for students coming to our school? Are we going to be able to attract new kindergartners? And then I have been thinking a lot about the requirements for social distancing when we reopen. But I will, I will say that's probably at the bottom of my list because so many things are unknown. So you're saying you're getting a lot of sleep right now. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> I'm saying I have a lot of questions with very little answers. I have a lot of plan A, plan B, plan C. Right. And not wallow in the constant message in my head, which is, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. 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 Yes. No one told me this. No. This wasn't in my grad school courses. Yeah. No school leadership class on, you know, remote learning, being a school leader with no school. Can you share something inspirational that you've used to sustain yourself during these times? I'm really proud of our school's campaign um, to strengthen our community and recognize that we will be successful and survive this by being a team together. The night that we were sitting together in what I like to call the war room, um, it was on March 11th. We spent the entire day as a team figuring out what would this plan look like. And at that time, we didn't even know how long we were going to be closed. And I thought a lot about the campaign in the city of Dayton after the um, double whammy last summer of um, really destructive tornadoes and a shooting um, in the city. So there was a mass shooting that had a great impact on just the fr fragility of our city. And the campaign that came out of that was Dayton Strong. So there were t-shirts and there was a big concert that Dave Chappelle led um, because he's from Dayton. Uh, so there was this big campaign for Dayton Strong, and I just kept thinking of DLA Strong. And so we rolled out hashtag DLA Strong, which is our school campaign for this time period. And we have a school song that our, our music teacher wrote. We have um, art campaign where the students, as one of their art assignments, used objects around their home to spell the letters DLA. And then we created a slideshow. We have these awesome t-shirts for staff and teacher appreciation week that say hashtag DLA strong. And so every time I think about surviving this, um, adjusting towards these new realities, what I come back to is DLA strong and that campaign and that sense of school pride and sense of school community that is really helping us to 
salvage the fourth quarter and continue to do what's best for our students and work as a team to serve our students. Can you find that on Twitter or Instagram or is it just an internal hashtag DLA strong? Hashtag DLA strong is on Instagram. Thanks to my team. That's way more social media savvy than I am. Uh, we have a YouTube channel and we have um, awesome messages and videos, including TikTok from our students. So is there anything you wanted to share to us that I didn't ask about or that you were hoping to get to share with everybody? My director of operations today was telling me that she was really impressed with what our teachers were doing um, to instruct and provide instruction for our students. And she said, I'm so frustrated that people think teachers are doing nothing. And I was enraged. So I want everyone to know that teachers are working incredibly hard and are saddened to not be with their students and are doing their best to provide consistency, love, connection, and academic instruction to our students in enormously challenging times. Thank you, Tess. And thank you so much for spending time discussing Dayton Leadership Academies and your experiences with me today. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Here at New Teacher Center, we work to disrupt the predictability of educational inequities for systemically underserved students by accelerating educator effectiveness. We're here to support you through this challenging and unprecedented season. Please visit www.newteachercenter.org COVID-19 for additional resources, communities of practice, and webinars to support you through this season. Be well.